against the enemy. Today, we will learn about the methods and scheme of the enemy and the source of our strength in Christ. The theme of our current study describes our attitude towards the enemy. This study helps to explain the methods and scheme of the enemy and the source of the believer's strength. We are encouraged on how to stand our ground against the enemy. Remember that a believer cannot firmly stand against the enemy until they've learned to be seated in the blessings of Christ's finished work. In today's message, you will learn the following. One, the methods and scheme of the enemy. Two, the source of our strength. It's sure going to be fulfilling as we journey on. God bless you. Hallelujah, glory be to God. I want to welcome everyone this morning to the service in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And to those of you guys watching online, we welcome you. We thank God for you. And yes, we are still praying Amen. that you join the community Amen. in person, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. amen. As always, our mission here is to build a Jesus community and to serve the world. Amen. Praise God. All right. So let's just dive into this message this morning. Brother Charles, it's good to see you back. God bless you really good. Welcome back. I didn't have to pray day and night while you were gone because you went to Ghana and not the other place. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. All right, let's just go into scriptures uh, this morning. I'm going to be sharing using the title, The Methods of the Enemy, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and haven't done all to stand. All right, so there's so much that we can cover today. Uh, let me just jump to another scripture in Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Let me get this out of the way. Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. And it says, so the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And... They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Let me just start from that, Revelation chapter 12. That few verses I just read from Revelation chapter 12 gives us the names or the nature of our enemy. So, 
in verses 9, 10, and 11, number one, he calls this enemy the dragon. And the reason I'm telling you this is because as you hear these names and these appellations, you begin to get an idea what this guy is all about. How many people here, maybe online and here, loves the dragon? How many of you get a dragon for Christmas? You went to the store and you are looking for a dragon. Nobody. Because there's something despicable about this dragon, okay? It reveals the evil in its nature and the effect of hostility, being full of hatred and vicious and cruel character, okay? And is the continuous enemy, especially of God and God's people. Don't ever forget that. The devil is not your friend. I don't care what, I mean, I don't care how much he tries to sell himself as your friend. He is not your friend. Another name we are given in Revelation chapter 12 is called, is called the serpent. Serpent. Now, you hear that word serpent. Again, how many of you keeping a snake at home as a pet? <laughs> well, I, I know some people do that. <laughs> but you know, Many of us are like Moses. You see a snake, you run. <laughs> there are some other folks, yeah, they keep a, you know, they keep a python. I remember years ago, I don't, I don't like them at all. But let me just, full disclosure, I don't like them at all. It doesn't matter whether they are poisonous or not poisonous. A serpent is a serpent is a serpent is a serpent. Faith, as a young man, used to like to watch these things on TV, and I just didn't like it at all. So we took the family to Bush Gardens years ago, and here we are, a guy right there with a snake and playing with it. I was like, Faith says, Daddy, touch it, touch it. I said, no! I don't want to touch this crazy thing, man. But he made me touch it, finally, and the thing feels slimy like rubber. I said, get it away from me! <laughs> But this is the thing. When the serpent came to tempt Eve in the garden, isn't it amazing that this devil took the person of a serpent, an animal that Adam and Eve named? Do you understand? They named every animal there was. So they were familiar with the serpent. They named it and said, you, you become serpent. So what did they do? It came as something that they were familiar with. Rather than coming in its real essence. So a serpent was cunning, crafty, treacherous, poisonous, and remains so till today. Just so you understand, Satan will not come to you and knock on your door. I am Lucifer. I want to have a conversation. No, he's not going to do that. That's why it's a serpent. Slimy, very treacherous, okay? Then another name we see in Revelation chapter 12 is that it's called the devil. What is a devil? One who speaks maliciously and falsely about someone. A slanderer. And then again, it's called Satan, which means an adversary or opposer. And lastly, in verse 11, no, verse 10, Revelation 12 is called the deceiver of the whole world. Just so you are aware, and we're going to touch some things today that will help you, help you see how he does that. 
A deceiver is someone who misleads by false appearance or statement, or someone who leads you to believe something that is not true. As the devil is the one who deceives the whole world, it shows that it shows what many terrible deceptions that he has got with which to deceive people. Okay. Let, 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 in the garden, when it came to Adam and Eve, mind you, he did not tell, tell Adam and Eve that I have come to destroy your relationship with God and bring just, God's judgment upon you. He didn't, do, he didn't do that. He didn't tell them that. He did not tell them that he came to disrupt their marriage relationship and relationships between human race and animals. He didn't do that. He did, not come, he did not tell them that he came to make living difficult. He didn't tell them that. He did not tell them that he came to ruin God's creation for the most time that this earth is. He didn't tell them any of that. Because if he did that, Adam and Eve would have been on their guard and would have rejected all that he had to offer. So now, let's dive into the message. The methods of the enemy. What are the methods? Number one. The devil exaggerates the pleasures of sin while minimizing the true nature and outcome of sin. <laughs> it exaggerates the pleasures of sin. And we see this in the scripture, Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 25. Regarding Moses, the Holy Spirit told us that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Don't deceive yourself. Sin has passing pleasure. The Bible told us. Back in the day when you were smoking whatever you were smoking, I didn't hear you while you were smoking. They said, oh my goodness. Man, this is terrible. I shouldn't be smoking it. Did any of you say that? No, nobody here ever smoked anything. I know. I'm speaking to the religious folk in this place. You guys never smoke what you should not be smoking. Hello? When you were smooshing with that person in the back of a car. Hello? Am I talking to somebody here? You did not say, oh my gosh, wow, this is terrible. I shouldn't be doing this. You are enjoying it. That's plus passing pleasures of sin. You did it, you enjoyed it, and went back for some more. That's how good it was. I have never seen anybody drinking liver. They're drinking it. They know it's going to, they know the outcome. They know it's terrible. But they don't take a pause and say, Man, why am I doing this? They don't do that. So don't kid yourself. There are passing pleasures of sin. The Bible admits it. So the devil's job is to tell you to exaggerate the passing pleasures. Man, keep on doing it. It's wonderful. It's fun. You are, you're having a ball. It's thrilling. On and on and on. But it never tells you the consequence or the outcome that it will produce in your life. The devil is counting on the fact that we will see the fun, the pleasure, the joy of the satisfied appetite and jump at that, acting impulsively. 
But if you stop and think, if you inquire, if you look deeply and consider consequences, you frustrate the words of the devil. The devil wants you and I to act on the immediate pleasure of the tempted behavior. Okay? So Satan always exaggerates immediate gratification while minimizing the true nature of the sin. The bait looks good, always looks good. But when you take that bite, you have taken in the ugly poison of sin. Be careful. Amen? Don't just always look at the pleasure. Look at the outcome. What's behind that pleasure? Number two, the devil sees an opening into our lives through our emotions and mood or mood. When we fall into certain moods, we are overcome by various kinds of emotions. The enemy steps in to defeat us, to lead us into sin. The wiles of the devil include this cunning ability to find openings through our moods and emotions. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Okay? So when you are angry, don't take that anger into the next day. Don't take it along for the next week and months and years. Because when you do that, you might as well wear a bull's eye target. You become a target. Because the devil now finds a landing spot in your life. That's why the Bible says concerning Jesus, it knew that the enemy was coming, but the, the enemy had no place in him. Therefore, there was no business, no transaction. Don't open your emotion, your mood, your attitude, your anger as a landing place or even fear where the enemy can come in and find a spot. Amen? Amen. Number three, the devil will use people to lead us astray. Now, this is big. He will use people to lead us astray. Not long into his public work, Jesus warned men of men. He told those people to be careful about people. He knew that the devil can use people to lead us astray. So Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, he said, beware of what? False prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I was amazed last Christmas, I can't remember the exact month, maybe November, December, where a minister in, in, in the ministry in Ghana issued a decree and warned all the churches. He said, come New Year's Eve. You guys better not prophesy a lie. He did. He did. Because they recognized the abundance of lying that's taking place from this pulpit all across the world that's misleading people, that's giving people false expectations and false hopes, things that God never said and they say God said. And people begin to follow those illusions to the detriment of their souls. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, when he sent his disciples out, he said, beware of men. Jesus wanted us to know this. The devil can use people to lead us astray through words of invitation into sin, through false teaching, through subtle influence, he can defeat us. 
One of the wiles of the devil is to use people to corrupt us. Let me just give us an example. This of us have been around here a while. We, we, we should be able to be familiar with this. In 1975, the Reverend Jim Jones, a religious court leader and civil rights activist, hinted at things to come. Quote, I love socialism, and I'm willing to die to bring it about, but if I did, I'll take a thousand with me. Unquote. End of quote. He said this during a sermon at his people's temple church in San Francisco. And then two years later, on November 18, 1978, those words became a reality when more than 900 people one third of whom were children died during what's now known as the Jonestown Massacre, one of the worst mass killings to ever happen in American history. How did that happen? Give me the, give me the pictures of that, of that thing. I have some pictures there to, to show you. That's Jim Jones. Go on, roll it. Those are the people that are with him, some of them. Look at them. Just keep on rolling up. Look at those pictures. These are real human beings. Somebody's father, mother, children. 1978. Now look at that. What you're looking at there are dead bodies. One man sold a vision that was an illusion to a people who bought it line, sink, and just went for it, and that's their end. 900 human beings in Jonestown, Guyana. It promised them that when they went there, that the land was going to be, it was a very fertile line that would produce crop. There would be no snakes in jungle, all kinds of crazy things. Which jungle is there no snakes? Crazy. He did that. And I'm sending this, now, if you, if you notice the, if you, if you, if, um, don't roll the pictures back, I don't want to see them again. But if you look at the demographics of the people there, do you notice yes, sir. that many of them look like you? Yes, sir. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in a, in a, to, to be the great man, no. But the point I'm making is we must not be ignorant people. Yes. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Yes. Why did somebody not say, wait a minute, as the Berean Christians search the scriptures to see if these things be so. 900 people, and unfortunately, children, one third, who are simply following what their parents were telling them, died. Is there anybody here who's looking to name their child Hitler, Adolf Hitler? Nobody. Hitler led the world into two world wars because some people believed what he was saying when he was saying it, not knowing that he was influenced of the devil. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 says, Let as many bond servants as under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. 
If anyone teaches otherwise, here we go now. If anyone teaches otherwise, I don't care who it is, myself, anybody else, if we are teaching something that is not biblically based, don't receive it. Any teaching that cannot bear the scrutiny of scripture is error. That's what Paul is saying. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now, this is, this is the last punch. From such, withdraw yourself. End of story. If I get up here saying crazy things that's not born out in scriptures, you better get the heck out of town. Amen. Oh, you guys, are not, you guys are not hearing me. Anybody that's teaching anything that is not born out by, with scriptures, you need to get the heck out. Because they will damn your souls. You listen long enough, you're going to start almost rationalizing, and before you know it, you're caught in the web of lies and deceit. Number four, the devil is the master marketing agent. <laughs> Don't go any further. He packages sin in neat, attractive bundles. Now, what if someone was to bring a garbage bag to you? Trying to hand you a garbage bag that's stinking with maggots and all those things in there and say, I've made this wonderful, you need to take it home. As soon as they hold it out and you can smell the contents, you're going to say, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. I don't want that. But if someone comes to you neatly dressed with a pleasant smile and they hand you a beautiful package like it was professionally wrapped at Dillard's, <laughs> it has matching bow, bow, bow and ribbon perfectly wrapped and absolutely beautiful, your reaction will be, wow, this is wonderful. Let me, give it to me. You see, the devil is the master marketing executive. He knows how to package sin so that it doesn't look like anything bad. Young people, hear me. If any person is not willing to commit, don't give them your body. Amen. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen. Listen, the, the body that God has given you is not a car. It's not a Tesla. You don't need to try it out. Well, honey, let, let's just try it out. And, uh, so we know that we'll become back to when we're married. No! Don't try it out. Commit. I, I, am I talking to someone here today? Yes, <laughs> you guys are looking at me like... No! No! Don't try it out. There's nothing to try out. Keep yourself. Keep your body. Keep your dignity. Keep your virtue. Keep it until the day that the person makes a commitment and that commitment is by putting a ring on your finger. No ring, no do. Okay, now, if, now wait a minute. I'm not ashamed to spell it out. I can actually spell it out for you. If you, if you need for me to spell it out. Ah, okay, I hope you understand. <laughs> no do, exactly. If you want to do, ask for the ring. Where's the ring? <laughs> No ring, no do. Amen. Amen. Because the enemy will sell it to you. 
It will tell you everybody's doing it, so what? What's the big deal these days? This is a new, this is 2023. This is a new time, a new season. Come on now, let's, let's, let's get it on. No, we're not getting it on until you make a commitment. Yeah. He's the master marketing executive. He knows how to pack it since so he doesn't look anything bad. This is part of his deceptive essence. Amen? Amen. That's what the lust of the eyes do to you. You see a neat, pretty package. And your first reaction is to look, to admire, and to want to take it. That's what the enemy does. Now, it's getting a little deeper. Number five, the enemy's wives. He challenges God's word. He challenges God's word. Some of you will depart from me on this point. Let, let me give you advance notice. This is what led to the first human sin when the serpent or Satan tempted Adam and Eve. He challenged the word of God and Satan still uses it because it works so well. The first recorded words of the devil through the serpent were this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Did God really say Anytime a thought comes to you that says, did God really say, does the God of God really say this? You need no further introduction. Satan is talking to you. With those words, the devil invited the woman to reconsider what she understood God to have said. By adding her human interpretation, she convinced herself that God's word was far too restrictive. By suggesting that we should re-examine the clear teaching of God's word, Satan invites us to add our own interpretation and thereby nullify God's stated will. Now get ready for the punch. Okay. Last Sunday, I was defining the four dimensions of love. I defined the width of God's love, the height of God's love, the length of God's love and the depth of God's word, God's love rather. Now, when I define that with, I make it abundantly clear that the love of God is all encompassing, all inclusive, not excluding anyone. I went on to make a reference that God's love in its encompassing capacity covers the Jew, the white, the black, the straight, and the gay. Wait a minute. However, it must be said that just as Satan came into that garden to challenge the word of God, and to say, did God really say, does he really mean what he said? Even so today, we have major denominations that are saying to us, did God really say that homosexuality is wrong? I know, I know you guys are going to get quiet. Did God really say there are only two genders? After all, I can recreate my own. If I don't like what I am like, 
All I have to do is go to the doctor and get a new, get a new model. The twist of God's word, it's happened all over the world, and in particular this country. Now, let me be clear. God's love is all-encompassing. It encompasses the Jew, the white, the black, the straight, and the gay. But you must understand, you and I do not have the authority to change the word of God. You can change it. You can change it. We have major discussions right now as we speak, major denominations breaking and splitting into many, many pieces because of this issue. Just because the church now wants to uh, reinterpret what God has already said. No, God is not Sinai. He knows what he said. <laughs> Thanks to my GOP chairman here. It's, <laughs> it's reminding me that he said it. Okay, all right. <laughs> so we need to be careful. Don't let any denomination, any pastor, or any organization put a spin on the word of God. The word of God does not need any addition. It does not need any subtraction. It stands alone as it is. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And the word stands sure and undefiled. In Jesus' name. Number six. <laughs> Number six. I know I'm going to get some comment on that, but so be it. Amen. Amen. The word starts. <laughs> the word starts. <laughs> Number six, the words of the devil. It challenges our identity. It challenges our identity. Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, gives us insight on, into the several of the, dev the devil's wiles or schemes or strategies. He came against Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness. And on two different occasions, Satan began his temptations with these words, if you are the son of God. Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. We know that because he already said, he already acknowledged that in Mark 134. He said, you are the son of God. He knew, he knew. But he wanted to sow that doubt in Jesus' mind. Jesus was there when Satan fell like lightning from heaven. Significantly, the devil chose a time when Jesus was physically weak and hungry to attack his identity. There's something in that for me and you. Because Satan does the same with us. To make his strategy and his schemes more effective, he hits us during a time of crisis, a spiritual struggle. And he suggests to you, if you are a child of God, you won't be broke. If you're a child of God, God will help you right now. This is why we need the helmet of salvation. If you're a child of God, you won't have this need. If God loves you, this will not happen to you. Every one of us has been open to that assault. Because he understands the moment he gets me and you to take our eyes off of who God has made us to be. You're on a slippery slope. Yes. That's why you must be rest assured that God's word concerning you is 
complete. A beautiful example of this is the younger brother of Luke chapter 15 that we call the prodigal son, even though personally I think it's the father that's prodigal, not the son. And like I told you in one previous teaching, uh, this boy asked for his inheritance in an untimely manner, untimely, but really, 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 if Jesus was using that to teach us a truth. The truth there being, as a child, as a, as a child of God, as a, as, a, as a born again believer, your inheritance is now, not in the future. Oh, you didn't hear me. Your inheritance is now. What do you need inheritance for, inheritance for when you get to heaven? You don't need it there. The inheritance he gave is for you to, for now, this moment. So that boy, the young boy, young boy Luke 15, he understood the concept. While the brother was working for the future, the, the boy said, let me take mine now. Okay, all right. All right, let me leave that alone. But the point I'm making is about the identity. So, so yes, so while the boy did the correct thing by asking for his inheritance, I want it now, because Jesus wants you to have your inheritance now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not in heaven. You will not need it in heaven. Game over in heaven. You get to heaven and say, where's my inheritance? Say, oh, really? You miss it on the earth? Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. What are you doing on the earth? You praying for inheritance? Oh, really? Too bad. No, your inheritance is now. now. The mistake he made was in not being a good steward of it. That's the mistake he made. You can get it now, but you have to be a good steward. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1 makes that clear. We have obtained an inheritance. Not the future, obtained, past tense, right now. Yeah. But the point is, in Luke 15, this young, man, young boy went ahead, squandered his inheritance, and the enemy suggested to him, you're no longer his son. Identity. Identity. Satan suggested to him, listen, you've squandered your inheritance. You've blown what your father's given you. So now you are, no, you are no good any longer. Why don't you go back home? Just crawl home and suggest to your father to make you a servant. Because that's all you are, you are worth now. You've come down from being a son to a servant. Just, just negotiate to be a servant. He bought it because of that wrong influence. And he went home looking to negotiate. And I'm saying that to me and to you, to everyone that's listening. Don't allow the enemy to steal what he could not give you. Only God can give you an inheritance as a son or a daughter. The enemy can do that. And the enemy understands the authority that comes along with your true righteous identity and therefore wants to talk you out of it. Don't budge. No matter what's happening to you. Whether you're sick, you're broke, you're in bad relationship, it does not, your relationships and what's happening to you do not become the way to define who you are. What God has said about you defines you, not your circumstance. Not your circumstance. Amen? Amen. 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 
Okay, very quickly. Very quickly. How do we remain strong? Because Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. By the way, there are many more schemes of the enemy. I don't want to spend all this time talking about the devil, really. Uh, he really is, is, that's, we need to know how he operates, but I don't want to spend all this time talking about him. Amen. How about talking about Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's very quickly look at some practical things on how to be strong in the Lord. I want to go to Psalms 27, verses 1 to 3. Do you remember the story? Actually, let, let, me go, let me back up. Yeah, this is important that I back up. Let me first read 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's find ourselves in David's life. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. Very, very familiar scripture. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziglag and had overthrown Ziglag and burnt it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. I mean, how many of you know this is not a good day? Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now, that's some weeping. Now, David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinom, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. Now, look at this situation. This man is already sad that he's lost his properties, lost his wives, everybody's gone. The entire group's lost everything. Now, the people are turning on him and you, you are the one that took us out. You crazy man. Let's, we're going to deal with you. <laughs> the Bible said he was getting distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of, of his sons and daughters. Now, what did David do? And this is what we need to learn to do. Because many of us are at various levels of the distress that David is in, or was in. Maybe you, you didn't lose your wife or your husband, or your, I mean, whatever. But something may be happening to you that is making you feel afflicted and oppressed. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Like Paul told us, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. That's what David did. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely recover. What a day. What a day. So now, with that being said, let's go to how David did it. Let's see what gave us the insight as to what David did. Psalm 27, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Watch verse 2. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. 
Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. This guy is beginning to pump himself. What did he do precisely? The first thing he said is, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is my defense of my life. Who shall I dread? First and foremost, when you find yourself in the snare of the devil, remember the Lord. In your difficulty, renew your mind with the truth. Remember who he is right now. Remember it. Say it out loud. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my light. I'm my salvation. Say it out. Say it out. Remember how you get your angels on assignment? By giving voice to the word of God. Yeah. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, the guy was afraid, of course. People were threatening to stone him. Of course, in the natural, he was, was fearful. But now, he got, gets a hold of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Can we say that together, please? Let's say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat of my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled. They stumbled. They stumbled. They stumbled. Sickness will stumble. Poverty will stumble. Bad relationship will stumble. Everything against you what? Stumble, 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 stumble. Lack will stumble. In the name of Jesus. Glory be to God. Yes. You need to proclaim it. You need to proclaim your victory. You need to proclaim the favor of the Lord. You need to proclaim who you are. You need to proclaim whose you are. Oh, glory to God. You need to remember that great I am. I am your refuge. I am your shield. I am your buckler. I am your high tower. I am your situation. I am the beginning. I am the ending. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am done with war. I am done with peace. I am done with Jesus. I am the almighty God. I am on your side. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. My God, my God. Oh, hallelujah. what it says. One or two more, then we're going to go. You guys just come on your platform. Let's just put the devil to shame today. He said, when the evil doers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. What is it? It's remembering the past. Has God ever done anything for you? 
Has he ever done anything for you? Has God ever done anything for you? Has God ever done anything for anybody? Hey! Hallelujah! Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Remember the past. And then he says, Do a host and come on me, my heart will not fear those who are against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. David's confidence in the Lord overcame the fear of the enemy. Let faith arise and let fear be banished. In the name of Jesus, you live and not die. You live and not die. Up only and not below. In the name of Jesus, you will overtake. You will overthrow, you will recover all in the name of Jesus. Victory is yours in Jesus' name.